0: Well as we come to chapter 42 you guys know the story. God chose Abraham and then he chose his son Isaac and then um, Isaac had two kids Esau and Jacob and Jacob was the one that the Messiah the lineage would come through and Jacob ended up with four women in his life that he had kids with two wives and two of the maidservants of the two wives so a rather dysfunctional thing going on there. And uh, his favorite wife was uh, Rachel. And now her sister got put in the honeymoon suite. Um, and I guess there was no lights on or whatever. Because he woke up in the morning. It wasn't Rachel. It was Leah. And uh, his, his uh, father-in-law said, hey, well, I thought, you know, you knew our customs. You older daughter has to be married first. And so Leah wasn't that loved that she had kids. But Rachel didn't look like she was ever going to have kids. But finally, um, the last couple of kids born, the last one was Benjamin, but then Joseph. And Jacob, being a dysfunctional guy with a dysfunctional family, did a very, very foolish thing by showing favoritism to these two youngest boys. Especially Joseph, even though he was much younger than all the others. Um, was in charge and gave him a coat of many colors or uh, some kind of garment to distinguish him as the manager and all them as the employees, you know, type thing. And, and Joseph, a rather naive young man, uh, we, we know that when he got shipped down to Egypt, he was 17. So he was under 17 or right at 17. He had two different dreams. And uh, both of the dreams, the brothers, were to bow down to him. And they hated him for it. And so when they were way away from their home in Shechem, down where they could get in trouble, Joseph came and they said, oh, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Wow. They really hated the fact that dad liked him better and he was sort of a manager over them. And then the dreams just was the straw that broke the camel's back let's kill him but eventually they decided to sell him into slavery to a group of Ishmaelites and in particular of Ishmael his son Midian the Midianites uh, a, a group of the Ishmaelites uh, and they were all headed to Egypt so um, that's where they figured Joseph ended up and, uh, but we know the story Joseph was a slave and God promoted him because he had a great attitude fearing God Working as unto the Lord, but he was accused of rape when he was very innocent. Got put in prison, and again became great attitude. Feared the Lord. He never got bitter at God, and he was raised up to the top prisoner, um, overseeing the other prisoners. Not a great uh, promotion, but you know the best he could do. But then eventually, Pharaoh had a dream. He knew it was substantial, and nobody could interpret it, and. Uh, Cupbearer remembered that this guy in prison could interpret the dream, and so he interpreted the dream, and uh, we ended the last chapter by Pharaoh saying, wow, seven years of good and seven years of bad, and somebody's got to organize the seven years of good so it'll get us through the seven years of bad, and who 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 is better than you, Joseph? And again, at, at this point, point, we find out he's 30 years old, and um, And that he had uh, spent all of those years in slavery and in prison. And uh, he was appointed by Pharaoh, giving him his ring, giving him the garments, giving him the second chariot after. And everybody was told to bow to him when he went by. And the only person greater in this great Egyptian kingdom was Pharaoh himself. And so we uh, went through the seven years of good. And now that would put Joseph at 37 years old. And um, they, they started putting all the wheat and all the, the, the grain, everything they could put away until they eventually couldn't count it anymore. They had that much. And it wasn't just Egypt, but all the world surrounding Egypt that also would go through this horrible famine time. And right next to Egypt, not too far away, about 11 days journey, if you go straight, um, is Israel. And so they also were starving to death. And so we're probably in the first year. Now, when we get over to chapter 45, we'll, we'll see that Joseph tells his brothers there's five more years left. So uh, in this story where he's messing with his brothers and eventually he gets dad to come down, it's over a two-year period. So we may be a year into the famine already, or eight months into the famine. Uh, We don't know, but there's some point where they're completely out of food. And that's where we come to chapter 42. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy us, uh, buy for us there that we may live and not die. So they they really have waited to the last moment. They are completely out of, of food. Now a couple of things might be happening here. Jacob may have not wanted to say anything about it, because if you remember back in Genesis 12, Abraham was in a famine. And he immediately didn't inquire of God. He just went down to Egypt. And it ended up horribly for Abraham and his nephew Lot and and really for all the people after that. So it was not a good thing. And if you remember, Abraham made sure Isaac, his son, never went to Egypt, never left the promised land at all. And so now here is Jacob. He did leave the promised land to go back to the Chaldees. His father never left Israel. But to go to Egypt, they know that story well. So there may have been some reluctance on Jacob's part at that point. But remember now, he's up there in age. He's, he's getting up there. He's We're going to find out here in a little bit. He's, he's well over 130 years old. And so his sons are all... You know, he's telling like you're a bunch of teenagers, but they're, they're probably 70, 80 years old, you know, 50 years old. And, and and you can, again, get the patriotic system. They don't make a move without the patriarch saying something. But they're all looking at each other going, yeah, we've heard that too. But going down to Egypt, oh, what do you think? I think some guilt. I think some fear. What, what if we go by and see Joseph living a horrible, grueling slave life. And he sees us and we say, how uncomfortable would that be? I I mean, they really don't want to go anywhere near having to face their past shame, their past sin, especially if they happen to come across and stumble across Joseph. And so they're like, okay, let's go. And, uh, and, again, it was the last thing anybody wanted to do, Jacob or them. But he said, hey, we've got to go or we're going to die. And so Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Why did all 10 of them go? Um, maybe you could only get so much per family. There was a ration. Even if you had enough money, they wouldn't give you more. than you know, each person got X amount, possibly. Or possibly it's just safer. You know, you're going to take a bunch of money to Egypt. You probably want to have as many guys as possible together, right? You don't want to have a small group, especially if you're going to buy enough food for a whole clan, two or four of you going down there with all this money and trying to come back with all of this food. Uh, You probably want a a good amount of people. But but obviously the the real reason is is the Lord's planning this, right? The Lord's uh, orchestrating things. And so in verse 4, so Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, and he said, lest some calamity befall him. Or I like the old King James, it says, mischief, fall him. You know, in case they come back with a bloody garment saying, hey, sorry about Benjamin, but a wild animal got him. Um, He's like, hey, I I do not trust these guys uh, with this prized possession, my last child alive of Rachel, this little guy, Benjamin, who probably was 20, uh, you know, well into his 20s uh, at this point. Now, notice the switch in verse 5, and the sons of Israel. So up to this point, it's been Jacob, 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 but now the sons of Israel. And so uh, we do want to make a note of when we see that, because it mentions, you know, Jacob was the hill catcher, the thief, but Israel means one. Uh, governed by God or favored by God, and so it's giving a sense that even though they were still conniving guys, they're they're becoming sons of Israel, and we're going to see this. These guys have uh, real tender hearts now. The, the The years of guilt has really wore on them, as we're going to discover, and and they are not reluctant to talk about what they did and how horrible of a sin it was. We're going to discover that here tonight. So the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, and the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now in verse 6, Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the peoples of the land. And Joseph's brother came and bowed down before him, and their faces to the earth. Now, Joseph was the guy next to Pharaoh, so I don't think he was the guy out there, um, you know, taking the money and and doing that, but it says over the land. I think it's referring to the land of Cana. I think Joseph said, hey, all the peoples of the world that come, you guys deal with it, but everybody from Cana they come to me personally. I've got a special um, location that I'm gonna sell to people from Cana. And so it, it appears that Joseph is keeping an eye out, very possibly for his own family or neighbors or people he recognized from, you know, wherever, um, Shechem or Beersheba or, or whatever part of Israel they've lived in. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember him. Oh, could that be Susie? Man, she's, yeah, I remember when she was eight, but man, she's, you know. And and so he's sort of keeping an eye out. And and so it appears that people from Cana are being funneled his direction is what I see here in looking at this. And these guys come and notice how they come. They bow down to him, their faces to the earth. So in essence, they're saying, we are humbled by this famine. We uh, are not letting anything to chance happen here. We're not going to come and say, oh yeah, we'll buy some of that. No, throw some of that in there too. And no, how much do you want for that, you Egyptian? No, come on, we're going to barter. None of this. They're just coming and they're bowing down and just saying, we are coming beggarly. (laughs) We are coming humbly. We're coming broken. If you don't help us, we're dead. They didn't leave anything to chance. But we know, and Joseph, Saw the fulfillment of his dream. Do you remember that? Back in chapter 37, verse 7 and 8, it says, His sheaves and the brother's sheaves were in the field, and the brother sheaves bowed down to his sheaf, and his brothers said, Are you gonna indeed reign over us? Or shall we and in, you indeed have dominion over us? And and they hated him even more, it says at the end of verse 8. They hated him even more after saying such a thing. And then a short time later in in, in Genesis 37, 9 and 10, he had another dream. And not only uh, in this dream did the stars, his brothers bow down, so did the sun and the moon. And the way they interpreted that was his mother and father uh, also bowed down. His his father rebukes him. He's his favorite son, but he lays into him. Am I gonna bow down? Are your brothers gonna be bowing down to you? He didn't like that. No way, stop this nonsense. Quit having those dreams. And, and of course, it, when you really think about it, this really these dreams really were the fuse that got him put in the pit, almost killed, sold into slavery. So when you really ask yourself, what, what were those dreams good for? Really, it was simply to make his brothers pull the trigger and trying to kill him and throwing him and selling him in slavery. That was really the only purpose in it that it really had. And of course, it was prophecy of something that was going to happen. Nobody's going to try to make it. But, but you think about it. The reason they're bowing down to Joseph, the thing that started the, the series of dominoes that got Joseph to this point, was the fact that they were so angry over the dream about bowing down to him. And they actually said, we're going to kill him. That way we make sure we never bow down to him. That was their purpose, if you go back and study it. And then they said, well, sell him in slavery? Yeah, that, that, will, that will secure that he never raises up because he's going to be a lowly slave forever and ever. And we're going we're gonna to thwart this dream of his. If it indeed is a word of God, we're going to stop it. But it would be easier to drink the ocean uh, with a straw than to stop God and his purposes, right? And uh, and so this had to be a surreal moment where his brothers are actually bowing down, prostrated, telling him that man, we are humbled and prostrated and submitted to you. What a surreal moment that must have been for Joseph. Now in verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Now, we're going to see here in a minute, he's talking through an interpreter. He's speaking Egyptian, and and uh, and his translator is translating for him. <laughs> um, and we, we also know that Joseph isn't angry at him, angry at these guys. He's not bitter at these guys. He's not wanting revenge on these guys. He's not speaking roughly to them because his heart is rough is bitter is upset it's not in essence he's pranking him you guys like pranks i I love pranks now as i get older i do it less but because because now the people my age can die of a heart attack um but i do get stuck on youtube watching these guys prank each other it's hilarious i there's a few of them i would love to do uh but you know cheryl's mom she you know She's 86. <laughs> you know, you can't really see an 86-year-old lady hitting the plastic tape, you know, at the door and uh, falling down. You know, I, I just don't have any good people around to prank yet. But uh, anyway, he's, he's messing with them. He's pranking them. But let, let's not forget something else. Remember back in chapter 41, verse 38, Pharaoh, this pagan guy, identified There's no one like you I've ever met, Joseph, who's full of the Spirit of God. The only guy in human history thus far, the first person in human history, if you would, that was ever said, we see the Spirit of God evident in your life. So if you would, He's talking roughly to them, pranking them, going through this dramatic um, hiding behind uh, his Egyptian garb because it's the Holy Spirit. That's why he's being led by the Holy Spirit to deal with them in this way. Now, I could logically say he wants to see who these guys are. Because the last time he was pleading, begging, crying for them not to do this, and I don't think it was because he was afraid of the pit or he was afraid of dying or he was afraid of going to slavery. I do believe he was afraid that them doing this kind of evil thing could be the first step of them becoming truly evil people after that. Have you ever seen that in life? I have especially teenage kids, they they can step over that line once. They can step over the next line and the next line and the next line. Bad company, crips, good morals. And, and you see somebody who's a great person, sweet person, and they get around the wrong guys and they take a couple of steps in a direction they shouldn't go and wham, the next time you see them, their countenance has fallen and they are truly evil people now. And you're shocked if they could ever have become that. Or they can pull back and feel guilty about that and repent and have a humble heart and, and spend uh, their waking nights feeling guilty about it and their waking mornings. And especially in this situation where their dad now for decades has believed that he was dead. And how? You know, dad brings him up. Oh, guys, remember Joseph, you know, before that animal killed him? Remember back when he was eight? And, you know, they're all going, oh, this is don't mention Joseph. Oh, it's piercing us. Who are they? Is it what's which which is what's become of these guys? I I need to test it. I need to see who they are. I'd like to see who they are. And so um, he ta- he talks roughly to him and, and acts like he doesn't know them. And he's got to be giggling under his breath at times, though, don't you think? And and so he's a jokester. He's a funny guy. And in verse 8, so Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. So he remembers the dream about them bowing down and his response is to, to really prank them. So he realizes, man, God's, God's word is being literally fulfilled. That was prophesied back when I was a teenager. It's happening right now. But his response is, is to double down on this harshness and now to, to make up something uh, to really put them on guard. So, oh man, anything in this? Okay, guys, here you go. Here, here's your stuff. Be on your way. Instead, it starts talking roughly to them. Where are you guys from? And then it dawns on him, they bowed down. To, they're bowing down to me. At, probably after he talked roughly to them, they even bowed down even more. Don't you think? And 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 then it, he he realizes, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw this out. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this time with them more elaborate than I originally was thinking. So now I'm going to go into this new narrative about you being spies. And that's what he does. You are spies in verse nine. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Now understand, Egypt is the world's power at this time. And 10 shepherds from Israel, even if they wanted to try to evade Egypt, I do not think they would even have any inkling of success. So it's sort of laughable, isn't it? You're spies and you're checking out to see how you can try to come and destroy us. And in verse 10, and they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Uh, and again, I, I, I got to think Joseph is is chuckling here under his breath. Oh, we're honest men. Yeah. Um, If you knew who you were talking to right now, you would not have said that. And in verse 12, but he said to them, no, no, no. But you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers. Interesting. Their heart was prompted to say this. We're going to start telling you about our life, who we are, our family. And the first thing we want to tell you about our family is there's 12 of us. Interesting. Interesting the sons of one man in the land of Cana. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. Wow, they have pretty much in their minds thinking Joseph's gotta be dead because most of the slaves of Egypt had it very, very rigorously, and they didn't last long, right? I mean, they would work them to death. And so the odds of anybody making it 20 years or so uh, in slavery in Egypt and still be alive, even if you started out as a young man, um, probably not the case. He's probably, slavery's probably killed him, is is their reasoning. And Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you saying you are spies. (laughs) For the third time now, he's like, In this manner, you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. Now he really sounds like an Egyptian, right? Um, A couple of the commentaries said that that when Joseph said this, he was sinning. (laughs) But he's just play acting. By the life, I swear by Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh. Once again, he swears by Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So you said there's 12 brothers, one of them is dead, one's still alive. Oh, let's, let me see this brother. That'll, that'll, quali- that'll qualify that you're telling the truth if you really do have another brother. <laughs> is this really gonna prove anything? Obviously not. He just wants to see his brother Benjamin. And then in verse 17, he put them all together in prison three days. I've known a few people who did foolish things, and they spent one night in prison, and it cured them for life. Or one night in jail, it cured them for life. It's amazing uh, how you view things differently after three days of jail. And uh, they are, you know, going, wow, um, what do you want from us? And so after three days of being in jail, Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God, Elohim. So it seems that this is sort of out of character because he just swore by Pharaoh twice. But then it doesn't seem like he's talking harshly at this point to them. He pulls them out, and I think it was probably a private conversation, it seems like. Look, guys, I I really mean it. Just do this because I, I... I'm somebody who fears Elohim. I'm not, I'm not going to wrong you guys. I'm not going to sin against you because I believe I'm going to have to stand before God. And therefore, my actions in this life are lived out in such a way that I know I'm accountable to God. So you can trust me. This is what he's saying here. And Joseph again said, I fear God. In verse 19 now, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined uh, to your prison house, but you go and carry the grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your request, uh, your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified. Trust, but verify, right? And so uh, you shall not die. And they did so. I mean, what choice did they have? So they're going, yeah, okay. That's what choice do we have? Now, interesting, interesting. Verse 21 and 22. They, they say, okay, guys, let's have a, a conversation there. And they all get in a huddle uh, together there. And and they're speaking Hebrew. And Joseph is there listening. And they're thinking, well, it's just Joseph. And there's not the interpreter here. We can talk and he won't understand us. So they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and when we would not hear, therefore this this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen to me? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us but they did not know, verse 23, that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So it's interesting, I mean, how this could play out in the whole story here, but he realizes the testing is working. They have revealed their heart, but what is at the top of their mind always? What they did to Joseph. It appears that they've been tortured more than anybody through these circumstances, through the guilt of wronging their father and wronging their brother Joseph and wronging Benjamin, uh, his, his full brother. And and in their concept of God, and I'll say tell you, there's a lot of people with this concept of God totally wrong, it is God has been uh, waiting to, to teach us, to make us, to to suffer the way we made Joseph suffer. And so this is nothing other than the hand of God and his vengeance coming upon us and giving us our due. Guys, that is completely untrue. God does not do that. Jesus, oh, in many places in the gospels, tried to undo that pagan mindset. That's the way the people of the world who don't know true Christianity believe. That's the way all the religions, pretty much of the world, believe. That that um, you know, once you wrong God, the hammer comes out and He's just waiting to bop you on the head. But He's going to wait till it hurts the worst. He's gonna wait till you're down and then he's gonna really kick you and, and you let your conscience remember all of the wrong you've done and, and God is pouring salt on your wounds after he beat you. No, look, look at what Jesus tells us about God in the Sermon on the Mount, in Luke 6, verse 35 and 36. But love your enemies... Do good, Lynn, hoping for nothing in return, for your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he, God, is kind to who? The unthankful and the evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful." And then he goes on to say in verse 37, judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. So if God is telling us as human beings to be this way, how much more God is that way, right? How many times shall we should forgive our brothers? Seven times, I say to you, 70 times seven. And then he explains how God has forgiven us far more than any man will ever have to forgive us. In Romans 12, 17, repay no one Evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. If God requires that of us, how much more it's true of him? Because he's basically telling us to walk in our nature, which has been created in God's nature. God is not doing that. Now, does he let us reap what we sow? Yes. And he tells us that. You know, whether it's the physical laws that govern the physical universe, you plant tomato seeds, what are you going to get? A tomato plant. Yeah, it's it's simple. And and if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. But it's not God doing it. I remember my son, uh, Nathan, when he was small, but uh, the kids, when it rained a little bit, our outside, our our condo, it just got, became like an ice rink. I don't know what was wrong with the, the cement. They didn't do it Right. And it, it rained a little bit. And uh, Cheryl, I think, was gone at a pastor's wife conference or the casino somewhere. It was, <laughs> it was a Sunday morning, so could have been. Um, and I had all the kids. And, and they were all young. And I'm holding on to them. And, and, and the older two kids, I'm like, okay, stop. I'm going to open this door. We're going to walk very, very slowly because it's really slippery. I don't want anybody to slip. And I open the door crack, and my son Nathan pow, takes off, hits the thing, pow, hits his head. And I've got two kids. I've got my Bible. I've got, and I just sort of walk by him going, okay, um, when, when you can come to the car, we're waiting for you. I didn't have to spank him, he spanked himself. In essence, that's what God is saying. The physical laws that govern the physical universal spank you. And the spiritual laws that govern the spiritual universal spank you. I'm not doing it. God is going to judge all people on the day of judgment, but until then, He's merciful. So, unfortunately, these guys were living under a pagan mindset. But nevertheless, it did reveal how guilty they were feeling over these things. Well, He understood them, and notice what happened when He heard this in verse 24 he turned himself away from them and wept. When he heard how this has been terrorizing them, he just felt so sorry for them. And Joseph, guys, we're gonna see him cry seven times here in the book of Genesis. And each time it's never for himself. He's weeping because of the effect it has on others. And what, what an image of Jesus in so many ways he is, as our Lord Jesus also wept. But then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. He's really being dramatic, isn't he? I don't know why he picked Simeon, nobody does, but he picked him and he goes, yeah, we're gonna hang on to this guy. And he's tying him up himself, uh, making a show of this. And Joseph um, gave, a command to fill their sacks with grain and to restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So I want you to give them everything they're asking for, hide down in there, they can't see it till later, their money, and then make sure they're not eating anything from the sack that I've given them until they get home. Give them enough so they're, they have all they need for the people back at home. Why did he give the money to them? I think again, it's messing with them. I think he's just having fun. I think he's a character. But I also think, if they have been hit by this famine for seven years and it's coming, and they've been hit hard, he wants them to come back. What if they're short of money? What if they just don't have enough money? to come back, uh, or enough money to look respectable to come back. He wants to make sure that they are, they have everything they need. He is taking care of them. Even though they think he's ready to kill them all, that's not a possibility that he was going to kill anybody. He wants to make sure they're taken care of in the time between them coming back. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there. But uh, as one of them opened his sack and give his donkey feed on the encampment, he saw his money and there it was, the mouth of the sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. And their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to say that to, no, to one another, what is this that God has done to us? He's calling us spies and thieves and, and now <laughs> they're going to be going, where's that money those Hebrews brought? And, and they're, they're there is no money. Oh, they have, they are spies. And now they, with their guilt and the way their brain is functioning, uh, the only way they could say this is, oh man, God is really just trying to destroy us completely. Well, Verse 29, "'Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, Uh, "'The man who is the lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country.'" They, They fully are believing this. "'But we said to him, "'We are honest men. We are not spies.'" So this this guy this this guy I, I, he's the lord of, of 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 the land. They have no idea who he is as they're telling Jacob. This this guy uh, he spoke roughly and he thinks we're spies. And man, it's we barely got out of there, Dad. And and Simeon didn't, you know. And he goes on in verse thirty one. But we said to him, we are honest men. We're not spies. Verse thirty two. And we are twelve brothers, sons of our father, and one is no more and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country said to us, by this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine for your households and be gone and bring your youngest brother to me so that I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. And I will grant your brothers to you and you may trade in the land. I wonder on the way home if they said, no, what do we tell dad? What do we not tell dad? Should we leave out the Benjamin thing and, and tell him that Simeon was having such a good time at, uh, you know, the Egyptian uh, Disneyland that he didn't, he just wanted to stay a little longer? I mean, what are we supposed to tell him? And, and they finally said, like, you know, we just got to tell dad the truth right up front, which, which is not typically how these guys are, okay? Um, and so this is, this is a good news. I mean, I, I think they're looking for comfort from their dad uh, as well. But they come back with very disturbing news to Jacob, thinking, man, these guys can't do anything right. But he did say something here um, in verse 34. Bring your youngest brother to me, and I know that you are honest men, and I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. So not only can you come back and get grain, but you can become official, qualified uh, traders will give you a trading license uh, from this point forward. So that sounds like, uh, uh, you know, a pretty nice visa, so to speak, uh, a green card uh, to be able to come and, and work there uh, in Egypt. So not only can you come here and trade? You can come here and, and, and do business with us. We'll allow that because you're not going to you're going to prove you're not spies. So he's really trying to incentivize them to come back. In verse 35, then it happens as they emptied their sacks and surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. So even Jacob's going, oh my goodness, you guys are spies, aren't you? Um, Oh boy, we are in trouble here. And in verse 36, notice how Jacob deals with this pressure. Jacob, their father, said to them, Notice it doesn't say Israel, their father said to them. Notice this, Jacob, okay? And uh, Jacob, their father said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. And notice what he says, Simeon is no more. Because there is not a chance in beep, I'm going to let Benjamin go with you guys back there. So, um Sorry, Simeon, you're dead, because I mean, if the idea is I'm taking, Jay, you know, I hope you guys said goodbye, your final goodbyes to Simeon, because he is no more. I don't care if I lose Simeon, but I care if I'm going to lose Benjamin. So I hope you guys enjoyed your time with Simeon. He is no more. He's dead. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Notice, all these things are against against me. Interesting. Interesting that Jacob is feeling that way. No happiness can be present with me anymore. I have no hope for the future. He woke up and went to bed thinking, all things are against me. I, I cannot have positive energy. I can't have blessings to me. The only thing that happens in my life are curses. But the truth is, Jacob was God's chosen, was he not? All things weren't against him. Wasn't he healthy still? All things weren't against him. Was he not a wealthy man? All things were not against him. A matter of fact, at this very moment, Jacob felt like all things were against him. But the truth is, God was working out his marvelous plan, wasn't he? There was a plan in all of this, even when Jacob couldn't see it or fill it. So Jacob, if he knew the truth about God and his nature, no matter what he's seen, would fill hope. Feel joy, feel happiness, even in the midst of circumstances that don't seem very good. God was working all things together for good. We know this, right? Romans eight twenty eight. We all know that, right? It says we feel all things work together for good. Is that what it says? We get to see that God's working everything together. It doesn't say that either, does it? We as believers walk by faith, not by sight. And I think that second part's more important, not by sight, because we know that God can never fail. God is love. God will never leave us or forsake us. God is all powerful. He's everywhere at once. Therefore, we know that all things are gonna work together for good for every single person on the earth, No, for those who love him and are walking according to his purposes. Or let me change that. Are those who love God and believe in a God who has predestined everything for his elect. Does God know every hair on our head? Does he know every sparrow that falls to the sky? If we are his children, we are predestined that everything that comes into our life is ordained by God. See, this is the great thing. Now, let's just think through this for a minute. Joseph's family wasn't so messed up. If Joseph's family wasn't so dysfunctional, his brothers would never have sold him in as a slave. If Joseph's brothers never sold him as a slave, then Joseph would never have gone to Egypt. If Joseph never went to Egypt, he would never have been sold to Potiphar as a slave. If Joseph never was sold to Potiphar, then Potiphar's wife never would have falsely accused him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never accused him of rape, then Joseph never would have been in prison. If Joseph was never in prison, he would never have met the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. If Joseph never met the baker and the butler of Pharaoh, he would have never interpreted their dreams. If Joseph never interpreted dreams, he would never have interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. If Joseph never interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, he never would have become the prime minister, second in Egypt, over only to Pharaoh. If Joseph never became prime minister, he never would have... Wisely prepared for the terrible famine to come. If Joseph never wisely prepared for the terrible famine to come, then his family back in Cana would have died in their famine. Joseph's family's back in Cana did uh, die in the famine, then Messiah, if Joseph's family was back in Cana and died of the famine, then the Messiah would not have come from uh, the, a dead family. So, in the same way, if the Messiah did not come forth, then Jesus would never have come. If Jesus never came, then we'd all be dead in our sins without hope in this world. We're grateful for God's great and wise plan. So who knows the mind of the Lord that we can instruct him? God's ways are higher than our ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Do I get a big amen for that? So What do we see with Joseph? Now, if there was anybody who could have had the pity party that Jacob's having, Joseph could have had that, right? Trying to be the best guy I could be, I end up in a pit. Then they're gonna kill me, but then I end up in slave. Now I'm as a slave. Oh, all things are against me as a slave. Now I'm in prison, all things are against me. (laughs) Well, I might as well, I should have had sex with Potiphar's wife. I'm going to end up guilty in prison anyway. I might as well have some fun. God's obviously not going to bless me. God doesn't care that I'm even here. I don't think he's ever heard a prayer that I've ever prayed. You see, how, you see how it goes? But Joseph never had such an attitude, did he? Even though he had far worse circumstances, he never felt that way. we we'll finishing up the last two verses here. Then Reuben had his great idea. He spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in your hands and I will bring him back to you. So here here you go. If I don't bring Benjamin back, kill two of your grandkids, Jacob. That will solve the problem. It's like, oh my goodness. This is, and then he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead, and he left alone. I only have one son, that's Benjamin. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. If I, oh my goodness. I think we can call that stinking thinking, right? So, so here's the conclusion of this. Let's never forget that all who believe in Jesus are God's elect. And of all God's elect, our lives are predestined by God. Thus, Romans 8.28, it's most true of us because we do love the Lord and we do believe that God has our lives in his hands. He knows every second of our future down to every hair upon our head. There's no coincidences in God's kingdom, right? So if we get a flat tire, we don't start cursing the tire, do we? Cursing LA, cursing the freeways, cursing nails and screws, cursing all the people in construction who left the nails and screws. We say, whoa, what's God up to here? Okay, I'm gonna have to get towed and I think the Lord's gonna give me an opportunity to witness to this guy. At least I'm going to think that's what God's thinking. Because I know somehow God's turning this around for good. I think David says it the absolute best in Psalms 139. Really the whole chapter, but here's this little picture of it. You have hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. And of course, Paul in 2 Timothy 1 9, who has saved us and called us with this holy calling, not according to our works, but what? According to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. Before time began, we have learned that when we come to God and we say we want to live for you and submit to you and walk in your ways, then our life is now under that spout where the blessings flow out. God's umbrella of protection is with us. There's nothing that would happen. But I'm going to go into outer darkness. The Lord's there. I'm going to go into hell. The Lord's there. It can, whatever comes. You remember Romans 8? He says, this is what it is. We're killed all the day long. We're sheep as a slaughter. We're, we're stabbed with the swords. You know, do you remember this? And then he said, but there's, we're more than conquerors because of his love for us. God's got us in his hand. And this is what we see with Joseph. It was so clear to him. He didn't sin against God with Potiphar's wife. He didn't sin condemning and being upset or bitter over his brothers or over the cupbearer for not helping him out. His heart remained as we're going to see in the very last few verses of this book of Genesis 50. He tells his brothers, you meant it for evil, but what? God meant it for good that you would all be alive this day. I knew, I knew. I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. But I knew that God was going to turn this around, being enslaved, going to prison, all these difficult years of loneliness and missing you guys. And and, and my whole life, my whole teen life in my 20s were either enslaved or in prison and hardship. I always had in my heart, God's got me in his hand. And even in this hell, God's got a plan. Even in this dark place, God is still sovereign and in control. And he never missed a beat because of that.